1: And welcome everyone to So Very Wrong About Games, a board gaming podcast about board games. Well, just just a second, Mark. I need to go over this checklist. Let me just one second here. All right. Um, No, no googly eyes. Let me see. Yep, you have teeth and no sports stripes. Okay, yep, you're not a sock puppet. All right, we can continue. I can turn on the Zoom filter so
2: I can vomit rainbows. Would that help? I am... <laughs> I am joined
1: live by my good friend, Mark. How are you today, Mark? I'm very well, Walker. How are you? Fantastic. Like I said, this is a podcast about board games. We are going to talk about the game we reviewed exactly one year ago, the games we played this week, and then on to the news and why it doesn't matter, and then the topic of the week, which is questions from listeners, part two. Mark, what did you get to play this week? Uh, well, why don't we talk about the as yet Actually, unnamed
2: retrospective intro sorry. segment, The Auris, which was yes, which was Last Bastion, the somewhat difficult co-op by Antoine Boza, French designer that we both love. Kind of sort of an iteration on ghost stories. What's your recollection of Last Bastion, Walker?
1: My recollection is that it was a very fun game. My recollection is that I've meant to suggest it many times to people, but could never remember the name. <laughs> um it's like, oh, it's that game that's, like, like ghost stories, but in a fantasy setting, it's, um... As opposed to ghost stories, which is more of a true crime setting.
2: Yeah, it's a good thing you haven't suggested it, because this is one of those Euruses where I'm like, yeah, I probably shouldn't have gotten rid of that game. I have had the urge to play it again, but I traded it away so quickly after we reviewed it, and I don't really remember why, because there... I, Last Bastion's fun, and it, it very much like we enjoy, the difficulty level it starts out relatively tough and can only scale upwards, and seeing the news for the upcoming Reiner Knizia co-op game, which does not appear similar mechanically, but appears somewhat similar visually, vaguely, has given me fond bits of nostalgia for La- Last Bastion.
1: And the new one coming out has dwarves in it, that's your favorite, right, uh, isn't it? That's what I think I remember.
2: Oh yeah, okay, That's I guess that's all the more reason to prefer Last Bastion.
1: Yeah, it's true.
2: Here I am just living with my mistakes, Walker.
1: And that is our recollection of Last Bastion, a cooperative sort of tower defense, defense the castle as the monsters attack and destroy your people type game. It has had a feeling of of besieged as well, if people have played besieged, not quite so, you know, fiddly and, and plastic heavy, but the same sort of fantasy feel and moving around to the different buildings and type thing. So the games we played this week, Mark, I have I have quite a few because it's been a while.
2: It has. So what would you play?
1: So let's, I'm going to start with Spire's End. This is the card game sort of storytelling, uh, choose your own adventure. This is published by, published and designed by Greg Farrow. And I talked a little bit about it last week. So if you didn't tune in last week, it was, I was getting a little, you know, not upset, but a little, you know, fed up with the double layered randomness. Like it would give you this whole list of options. And then there was a way to get the item that you needed, but you had to choose the right option. And then even if you chose the right option, there'd be a D8 roll after that. And it's like, oh, you rolled too low. You don't actually get it. And just that double layer killed it. And then we, I played it with, uh, with Huey. And we sort of each played a character and we worked our way all the way to the end. He was getting frustrated a couple of times, but, you know, at, by the end, we didn't mind it too much. The stuff that they did with the cards, with the final boss. And I meant to get the name of that type of game from him, but I've forgotten it's that type of, you know, slay the spire, sort of work your way through the, through the game over and over and try to get the best ending type thing. Cause we could sort of, you know, I broke through the third wall.
2: roguelike or roguelite. That is exactly it.
1: If you enjoy those type of games, this is a great solo sort of experience for you. Not exactly for me. There is a new (laughs) one from the same... There's another one from the same designer. It's up on Kickstarter right now. It's sort of like number two. I think it's called Hildegard's Adventure or something like that. It looks like they have this whole fishing system and it's the same fantastic art. I've already backed it because... I didn't mind it like a, a you know, a few times, like definitely got my money's worth, even though this was sent to us by a listener, <laughs> I still felt as though, you know, that I would have got my money's worth had I, you know, bought it, I, you know, I have played it several times and I, and I enjoyed the story part of it, the art of it, the whole feel of the experience, but it's just not overall my type of game that I would return to over and over again. That's for sure.
2: So mechanically, it's not giving you the kind of staying power you'd like, but you thoroughly enjoyed the art and the setting. Exactly. Sounds about right, and of course, it's great that you've tired of it just after I left because you never did show it to me. I know you promised. Maybe I'll ship it. Maybe I'll ship it to you. You made a vow, Walker. In terms I did. of games that I've been playing this week, that I've been playing a lot of, generally that I'm not going to go into too much detail on, Regicide continues to win lots of friends, charming everyone with both its me- mechanisms and with its artwork. Played a bunch more of Race for the Galaxy, my all-time favorite tableau builder. And actually one that I'd just like to stress, which is, called this a micro-Aurus. Normally after we review a game, and we've played the game a number of times in quick succession, I'm usually not particularly keen to return back to it immediately. And if I am, that I think is an excellent sign. And so thus I'd like to stress that I have gone back a couple of times in the past week to Imperium, both classics and legends that we reviewed before I left, Uh, both solo and competitively. Because, in part, I just love trying out the new civilizations. There's 16 civilizations with which to choose. And they play very differently. They have different approaches to victory. They give you a different sense of scope and sweep of history. And I have yet to tire of the system. This is a relatively long deck builder about 90-ish minutes with two players if they know what they're doing, and I didn't think that pure deck builders would necessarily have the ability to keep me coming back for more and more and more when they were like that. Again, as contrasted with something like Mage Knight, which is A, similar to all games in existence, and also your mom, and B, not a pure deck builder, because deck building is just one thing among many, but Imperium, I think, really has legs. I'm looking forward to go back yet more, again, both to try new civilizations and to replay civilizations that I've had a lot of fun with. And I really do think it's a triumph. And so in terms of the ability to want me to come back immediately after review, that's a rare feature and one that Imperium Classics and Imperium Legends definitely has. So another great shout out to Nigel Buckle and David Zertze. I think they've done a marvelous job with it.
1: I got to play two bag builders, Mark. I got to play Orleans and Quacks of Quiglinburg. Orleans, I love to get back to the table. Finally, I got to use the tokens from Board Game Geek Store. So there's actually, there's like multiple things that cross, these things cross over with right now that I want to talk about. The fact that they're both bag builders, I don't know if you remember he talked to me that the, but the counters that I got in my original Orleans were used so badly that I that's why I had to get the board game geek ones. Well, the, uh, expansion that we got from the publisher CMYK, they sent us a copy of Quacks of Quiggleburg and the Alchemist expansion, just in the Alchemist expansion, they added the the beginning tokens they just said oh we just added those in case your beginning tokens from your base game were a little bit worn good here's a whole new set of replacement ones good call right isn't that amazing yeah anyway so got to play uh introduced uh uh chip the third to to uh orleans and and huey we had a great time I, I did a whole new different strategy because we played with the order cards where you can deliver goods to the cities as you move around. That was a whole different, you know, twist to the game, even though Chip the Third in his first ever playing of the game schooled us in score, that did not matter. You know, sort of on reflection, you know, it's like well, you know, right off the start after the rules he says, Well, obviously you go to the castle and get more, you know, more draw from your bag. That's the obvious first move. And I think we just went. <laughs> Ho, 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 well, you don't know what you're talking about. Good job, Chef. So we, like, totally went a different direction, and then we look over, and it's like, he's, you know, filling up his board every turn with, you know, six actions, and we're going, okay, we do this one thing? (laughs) So maybe, maybe he was right. Maybe we should have, you know, focused a little bit more on increasing our bag draw at the beginning, but Orleans was a great play. Quacks of Quiglinburg was an instant hit here in the house with Butterfly. We've played it like four times already. She uh, loves it. She asks to play it. We've only played uh, the base game so far, but with two, they've made it so you can play it four different ways, the base game, like because you have your starting components, but there's four different sets that they can be. They're sort of generic. And I know I've talked about Quacks of Kriklinburg before, how it's more of an experience, and I still stand by that. It's... It's a very low choice threshold because you're taking the token from the bag and putting where it belongs. There's no choice there. When you're purchasing new components, you're mostly spending all that you can to get the best chip possible. So, you know, because everything's different prices, there's not much really to choose from. It's like, well, the biggest one I can get would be that. So I'll probably get that. They don't even give you the option of taking the same chip twice because when you're, you can buy up to two, but they have to be different colors. So that's even more limiting, but still that being said that the, the, just the experience of that pusher luck playing through it. And the fact that it's much like uh, the other games we played where it's like different combos and what was it? Uh, Cubitos that we played you know the racing game where they you know set up the different races and it's sort of different combos you have to work out i like how they did that with the ingredients there's different ways you can work the combos with them i did read through the alchemist that they sent us i'll have more to talk about that next time But it seems as though it's something that kickstarts the game it's just a way to get more stuff faster right yeah. so we'll see how that plays out
2: look I, I've I've said my piece about Quacks before I certainly understand why people enjoy it there's an undeniable sense of drama engagement and enjoyment from the mere simple act of watching someone push their lock by pulling something out of a bag it's one of the things that's appealing about Raw quite frankly just Raw also happens to be a good game on top of it <laughs> so I can definitely understand the, the appreciation of the experience
1: and then we started a campaign of Sleeping Gods this is by Ryan Ludcat and put out by Red Raven Games it's gotten a lot of buzz, so I decided this is the game we want to try next. We sort of did this big poll of, you know, all of these campaign systems that we have collecting dust on the shelf. And it was higher than everyone's list. And you're going on this adventure to find... you're You're going across the seas and you suddenly appear in this unknown land. And you have to wake the gods. I don't think there's any spoilers here. It's in the title. And to do so, you have to find these totems. So far... Having fun, it's got this restrictive system mark where you need these command tokens to do anything. Mm. And if you do anything, then you get fatigue tokens. And then you have to do a ship action, and all the ship actions are to get more command tokens. So the story and the art and the setting, all fantastic. This back and forth with, you know use your command tokens, get command tokens. I don't know if there's a different way that they could bleed them to you and just make it a little bit more interesting. I don't know, but we'll see how more plays out. And there's yet to be, I sort of talked about it with Huey. He said, Oh, there is an overarching story. It's, you know, get the totems to get home. But so far in the storyline, there's no sort of, it's, it's just like, here's a quest go and do quest complete. You know, it's, there's no sort of chaining quest yet. You know I what see. I mean? So I'm, I'm waiting for a, a little bit more of a story to develop will be, will, would be good.
2: What I'm waiting for is one of these overland adventure questy story type games, whether it's Tainted Grail, whether it's this, whether it's Seventh Continent, whether it's any of these things that many of them have great settings, many of them have great writing, but they all tend to rest on a gamification of a system that is related to fetch quests, or just like, manage your fatigue, manage your endurance, activate this men here, power this thing. And so you get this repetition and grinding, and this is honestly one of the reasons why Legacy of Dragonholt was such a revelation. Because Legacy of Dragonholt just says... Here's a series of interesting things that are going to happen and there's no forced fallow. It's It's like, okay, well now you got to go to sleep and you better do all these things to get your resources back. No, no, no. If you're going to tell a story, tell the story. And yes, of course, there are going to be game elements there, but don't send me off to go find the three food and seven magic tokens that I need to go to push into the widget so I can get to the next interesting encounter. It's a little frustrating to me, honestly. Given the high praise that Sleeping Gods had, and that's one of the reasons why I acquired it for you, I was hoping it was going to break from this mold. But uh, eh, disappointing. What it does
1: have is it does have this very interesting combat system where it says, "Okay, pull out these number these monsters. It'll give you some numbers, and you sort of line them up. They all have this, you know, grid along the bottom, and they'll and sometimes they all have different numbers that you need in order to hit them." So, you can pick the one with the lowest, and then as long as you put the majority damage on that one, you can sort of spill over into the ones that were harder to hit. Okay. So, it's got this interesting, as long as you connect them and you can, you know, make them do less damage and take away their special abilities, and so there's a little bit of a puzzle element there, and... It's kind of neat. But I mean again to compare
2: it to Tainted Grail again, Tainted Grail had an interesting combat system too. And my point is that as a gamer, I have a finite amount of endurance for compelling story married to some version of grinding somewhere. And if you tell me that Sleeping Gods may have this marvelous universe and this marvelous art, but it's tied to grinding, I'm like, I've been there. I've done that. Maybe someday I'll be I'll, I'll be ready to go and push through and endi- do an entire campaign of that. And in fact, just to be frank, I'm kicking myself for not having brought Legacy of Dragonhold with me. I'd intended to, but I forgot entirely. So it's sitting in Kingston, unfortunately. But quite frankly, they're all of a piece in my head. And I don't know if other gamers experience things that way, but I am sick to death of having my fun Fun being parceled out by meaningless grinding and fetch quests.
1: True. And like I and Huey had this issue right off the beginning by sort of tried to dial it back again with the with the notion that we maybe we didn't realize how important these command tokens were and maybe we frivolously spent them in the first couple of turns and therefore we were, you know, struggling to get a pool back. So it's it sort of righted itself a little bit, but just the fact that you have this back and forth. I see. And I did want I did want to finish up with the combat. that it does have this one other system where everyone has this sort of combo token and there are all sorts of different things, like either more damage or easier to hit, or this person lets you go diagonally. So if I do damage the monster and cover a part that just has like a combo gem on it then i get to give my combo token to somebody else and then when it's their turn to attack they can use that combo and if they cover you know you can do this cool chaining thing where you can pass the combo tokens around i thought that was very neat neat and that was sleeping gods and i just want to wrap up very quickly because i think mark is done i just want to go over no not even close oh sorry what are you doing i'm very sorry (laughs) <laughs> well, because you sort of, like, did a whole bunch of row, I thought Just maybe... the ones
2: that I've already reviewed, I've got all these new games to talk about. Stop... All right,
1: my bad. Stop my being bad. so selfish, it... jeez, man. It sounded like you were
2: done. Oh, man. I tried Pan Am by Prospero Hall. Pan Am is a game about the golden age of air travel. And it's got a, I have to confess, it's probably the most mechanically interesting Prospero Hall game I've ever played. Because Prospero Hall games tend to be enjoyable and often highly, highly derivative and relatively simple affairs. The thing about Pan Am, which is interesting, still very accessible, very simple, it's a worker placement game that kind of sort of has some of the auction elements of, say, your Vegas showdowns of your Amun Ray, whereby I put a worker here saying I'm bidding four, somebody else, if they put their worker bidding six, I get my worker back, and I could then try to upbid them on the same thing. But the the, the strange thing here is that there's this interplay between the roots that you found as a fledgling airline, and the fact that Pan Am is ruthlessly the expansionist and is just gobbling up roots all that it can this is semi-random at the end of each round but the idea is that you want pan am at certain times and in certain routes to eat your roots because that's a huge cash infusion this is not unlike the game acquire and this is why some people have compared this to the sid saxon classic acquire because in acquire you make investments largely because you want to lose them through mergers because then you get a massive cash infusion to the face and in pan am the reason why you want all this cash is because you're actually buying Pan Am stock. For what it's worth, my understanding of the period of the golden age of air travel, this is roughly how things worked. You had these local regional airlines that had little routes that were basically hoping to get swallowed by Pan Am because that was the biggest game in town and this kind of tapered off by the late 60s when Pan Am became relatively irrelevant on the international stage. But anyway, the way this is manifest in the game is, as I said, you use this worker placement element along with this auction to set up these routes and they increase your income, but who cares about income because you want Pan Am to come and give you the massive check. I enjoyed it. The, the, The biggest problem I had with it, though, was twofold. Number one, there's this deck of events which are very fun and cool and determine things like the stock price of Pan Am stock and which routes or how many routes Pan Am is going to give, or maybe give you a little benny, allowing everyone to upgrade a plane in their fleet, for example. And all that's fine. But some of the end game events can have a huge deal but on final scoring because, uh, for example, one, the, the, the last round event that we had was for every route you still have on the board, get a share of stock in Pan Am. Which, as I say, is the only victory condition. And given that so much of the game is about this dance between the income on the one hand of maintaining your own roots and the desire of being bought out on the other, this is kind of like a consolation prize for people who had made roots poorly or who had made bad bets. So I wasn't a huge fan of that. And looking at some of the other events, they might seem to have slightly too consequential an impact on Final Victory. The other problem that I have is that for a light, accessible fun game, it's too long. It's about 90 minutes, which is not irredeemable. It's just when you're talking about light economic Euros, there are a number of good ones that are around 45 to 60 minutes long. You know, whether it's something like Whale Riders, which is fundamentally an economic push your like Euro, kind of, sort of, anyway, or any number of other Knitsia games, or perhaps even something like Hanzo Teutonica, which is about roots and knowing when to cash in roots and other things like that, which will also be quicker than that. So it's not too overlong, but I felt it kind of wore out its welcome for what was basically a very simple set of operations. You get cards to get routes. You get planes. You set up routes. That's more or less what you're doing over and over and over again. So I, I felt I felt it wearing its weight a little bit more, but it was it was well enjoyed by a number of people who liked the theme of the Golden Age of Air Travel and some of the mild thematic touches here and there. So in other words, it's a Prospero Hall design. They, you know they have a it's a solid crew. I'm still not a huge fan of the way they don't credit individual designers, them and games work. I think really need to get their act together and I enjoyed the attempt and I definitely see the similarities to acquire as I said but I, I feel that in terms of a you know solid competitive experience the events kind of undercut that a little bit too much that I'd like and I would like it if it shaved about 20 minutes off the playing time but I as I say I enjoyed it so that was Pan Am by Prospero Hall.
1: Lastly for me I just have three games that we streamed so we like to stream as many games as we we can uh, we did Imperium the Contention. We introduced Dewey to this game. He loved it right off the hop. This is where you have, it's a card system where you lay out a card galaxy and you have these tons of factions. You move around this galaxy. You have ranged attacks. You have ranged colonization. It's very interesting. We have yet, at least I have yet to play it four player. We were so close. Hopefully very soon. I'm sorry. It's published by contention games my tubes I'm sure I'm sure we'll try to get it to the table again this is designed by Gary Dorotsky we also streamed Wingspan Dewey and I both have the the app so I like to do uh unboxings is how I do the unboxings now is on Twitch so we had uh coffee trader that I wanted to open up but anyway Wingspan, we played it twice last week, actually. We played it once in real life with all of the expansions and once which is the base game online. I really feel that all the expansions they've added just sort of negate a lot of the actions because one of the actions is trying to get food from the feeder and, and trying to work that into your actions. But with the expansion, you have this nectar and you have all these abilities that get you more food and you just don't really need... A lot of times you don't even need to take that action anymore. You just have this flow of of ingredients coming in and you just never have to do it. It just seemed to speed up the game, but make a lot of the things unnecessary, but still enjoyed by everyone. We're going to try it again. Dewey demands a a rematch. I also demand a rematch because the AI beat all of us. (laughs) Very embarrassing. Designed by Elizabeth Hardgrave and put out by Stonemaier games. And lastly, I've started this big destiny's, campaign this is put out by lucky duck games it's uh, like a heavily app driven sort of pick your own adventure type game where you're scanning qr codes and it'll ask you if you know you do you want to do this action do you have an item that will think you think will help you with this action and you can scan any item you want and it'll just tell you oh that's why would you even choose that? Are you dumb? And then, and then you 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 say sorry to the app, and you put the card back down.
2: I'm getting flashbacks to old Sierra point and click adventure games.
1: That's, and then it tells you how dumb you were, and how yeah. much health you lose, and how many skill points you go down. Oh wow! All right, so, but the really cool part the part I enjoy about destinies is your skills. You have three different skills. I think it's like knowledge, strength and dexterity. I'm not sure exactly what they're called, but roughly that, but what it is, is it's a track from one through 12 and you have, depending on what character you play, you might have anywhere from three to four discs starting out in different positions on this track and you're rolling a pool of dice and depending on on where you fall on the track is how many, you know, how many tokens you've exceeded is how many successes you get. And there's all sorts of different, uh, sort of events in the game that allow you to start moving these tokens down the track, which will make, you know, your more successes and more stuff. And you have these exhaustion dice that you can sort of build up and roll for all these different tests. And I just really like how they did that, that system.
2: So it's an adventure game where you're just moving stat markers along tracks.
1: Well, you're increase. It's like any other adventure game where you increase your stats, right? But I this guess. is just a different, a different way to do it, right? I'm
2: getting flashbacks to Vindication now. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I am going to stream. It's a, like a three part big campaign, so I am going to, you know, uh, stream the rest of it. It was this, you know, crazy setup where you have to have like where I had like three cameras, and then I found out I had to. Sort of do something funky with one of the cameras because I realized afterwards that I had to scan the cards as well. So, oh yeah, I, I had to break the thing and cross-reference the vortex combopulator and it was, you know, <laughs> it was all a, a, a grand production. And that was the last game I played, Destinies by Lucky Duck. Lucky Duck Games. I did the intro and the first mission. I am enjoying it. It's a it's an interesting little solo game. You can play it competitively but I'm not sure if I would enjoy it that way you get this sort of it is kind of interesting in a way you get a character card and it'll tell you what you need to do to win and usually it's two different ways like it's usually you know sort of like an evil way and a fun way or no sorry an evil way or a good way right and then you can ask (laughs) people about your quest and it has two different codes right so you can ask them about you know that one or the other one and you can sort of find your way that way so we were playing a nun mark and i made the mistake of letting the listeners guide me (laughs) through uh the quest so we had uh the end she would be nunzilla the kleptomaniac (laughs) brute who cleansed all the unworthy with fire okay so she burned everything Well, sorry, she stole from them and then burned it, and then, yes, it was quite funny at the end.
2: In the listener's defense, if someone is going to burn to death, whether they have their belongings with them is probably not going to provide any comfort.
1: She came right out of the 40k universe. Cleanse them with fire. Fire cleanses all.
2: Okay. So having moved out west... Off the Page Games is a new game publisher that is actually located about a 10 minute drive from where I'm staying in Vancouver. It is a collaboration between Jay Cormier and Senfum Lim. This is the same design duo that designed the absolutely relentlessly delightful junk art and Senfum Lim also has designed a number of other, well I mean so is Jay Cormier but Senfum Lim also designed Kingdom Rush which you very much enjoyed and I thought was there. Uh, So their first project is Mind Management, the Psychic Espionage Game, and game is in quotes. So this is an adaptation of a comic of the same name, namely Mind Management. And I have to say that a lot of the game is about trying to evoke the atmosphere of the original property. I say this without having read the original property. But there's a lot of artwork from the comic, there's new artwork from the author of the comic, and it's all about a secret organization and agents going rogue from the secret organization, which is classic fodder for some hidden movement type stuff, which is appropriate because Mind Management is a hidden movement game. A lot of the trappings of the game are indeed trying to tie it into the original setting. As someone who's unfamiliar with the original comic, I have to say that a lot of those efforts, to me, fell flat. And I didn't get really a sense of paranoia, or of intrigue, or of double-crossing, or of doubting reality, or of... Any of the various prompts or any of the sort of thematic overtones that the manual and the box art and the cards are desperately, desperately seeming to trying to want me to feel. So there's that. Then there's the issue of it as a hidden movement game. Hidden movement games are typically not my favorite, but I have to say that mind management is probably one of the better ones I've tried since Nuns on the Run, Nuns on the Run actually being my legitimate favorite hidden movement game. I played Specter Ops not too long ago, and it mostly left me cold, so the fact that I got any enjoyment out of mind management, I guess, is, is a testament to something. I played as the Rogue Agents, and one of the common downfalls of your of many of your hidden movement games, and this is certainly true of Spectre Ops, is it tends to be very inflexible with player count. And Mind the Management is no exception. The, you know, the box has one to five players, and you can play it co-op uh, if you choose to, but most of the time it's a one-v-all game where you always have one player who is the recruiter, a.k.a. the bad guy, and four players who are the rogue agents who are trying to chase down the recruiter. Now, if you have four players, they each control one agent. If you have three players, well then, guess what? One player gets to control two, and the other two can control... Anyway, there's always going to be four rogue agents, which is awkward as all hell. But I played it with two players, and so it was just one player controlling all of the rogue agents. And that's probably the ideal player count, because if I... Uh, I wouldn't want to play it with five, suffice to say. There's not a whole lot for, a- for an individual agent to do, and they only get to activate every other turn anyway. So it's super awkward in that sense. There are a number of standard rifts on the formula. You can do actions to try to get some information to piece together where the recruiter's been, where the recruiter's going, and so forth. The recruiter also gets agents in the form of these things called immortals. And again, the game wants me to be very afraid of these immortals. But since any rogue agent can go and smack them around for information, they don't really seem that frightening to me. (laughs) They, in point of fact, seem like just fire hoses of information that are ready to be pounded on. At any rate... Mind management, I think, is a solid entry to the genre if you enjoy hidden movement games and or if you enjoy the original comic, I think it is worth taking a serious look at. But if you're looking at something to give you an immersive story-based experience or induce that kind of paranoia, I don't think that it's necessarily successful on that front. And so that's my early experience with mind management. I'll probably give it another try as the other side. I I played as the Rogue Agents, aka the Good Guys, effectively Electroduction game. I'd like to try it as the recruiter, who's the one doing the hidden movement, and see how I feel about the game from that perspective. And then finally, for me, saving the best for last walker. The absolute, the absolute best for last Kabuto Sumo. Jealous. The Kabuto Sumo review copy came in from boardgametables.com. This is designed by Tony Miller. And Kabuto Sumo. I mean, what, what what else do I need to say? It's Kabuto Sumo. It's the game with res- sumo wrestling beetles, and this is the best anthropomorphic animal sumo wrestling game since Sumo Ham Slam in 2011. And unlike Sumo Ham Slam, there's not a trenchant examination of overeating on the part of hamster sumo wrestlers. But here, what we have are various kinds of insects usually based on adorable puns linking to some historical and or wrestling figure. They're engaged in a sumo wrestling affair. What you have is a series of discs on a circular raised board, and what you do is you push discs from the outside hoping to cause discs to fall off. There are, in point of fact, two ways to win. One of them is by pushing off your opponent, and another way to win is actually by... it's It's called submission. If the other player has no more discs to play, they basically run out of gas. So there's this interplay, but between the two different kinds of victory conditions. Sometimes you want to go for broke and try to shove them off. Sometimes you might accept that you're not going to shove them off and just go and try to gather more discs. On top of that, there are lovely, lovely custom pieces for each bug based on what their power is. The electric bug has stars. The bug that's basically Teddy Roosevelt with the serial number filed off has a large stick. It's absolutely great. There's a bug based on the Nature Boy Ric Flair, which is fabulous. It's just, it's, it's... (coughs) It's a delightful, delightful game. I have had tremendous, tremendous fun with it at two players. you can also, just rub it in now. Yeah. You can also play it in three players, which strikes me as a grotesque mistake because it, it leans real hard into the multiplayer conflict problem because the victory condition is knock anyone else off. Why would I, on my turn, threaten to knock off one of my opponents when I know that my other opponent can then just finish the job and win? So I haven't played it, but I I don't think I'd ever try with four players. Unfortunately, it's a little fragile. So you play in two teams of two, which is definitely better than every bug for themselves. But the setup is such that people can be shoved off much easier. And so, in a number of games I've played four players, it was over before everyone had a turn. It was literally three turns. Both team, uh, you know, team A gets both their their turns in first. They knock somebody off. That's it. So it's much less room for maneuver.
1: I'm just wondering why when, why couldn't you just play with the two player setup and just take turns, you know, pushing discs. Sure, that's an option. That seemed to it might work better. Yeah, it's an option. So I'm on these two questions. I was wondering was is the setup nice and quick and you're ready to go? Because this I haven't looked at the rules or anything yet. I swear sort I of wanted to wait till I actually got it.
2: The the setup is nice and quick. The game is super quick, so proportional to the game, the setup is a little bit in depth. But really, it's just a function of just slapping down a whole bunch of discs. It's not too tedious. It looks more daunting than it is.
1: And then the motion of starting your disc to the to the finish push and this wiggling back and forth does that seem to be a problem? You're just supposed to push it straight ahead. I or? was
2: actually going to talk about that because uh, I have some walker based concerns. Specifically, Walker has this concern when playing some dexterity games and any template movement games, your Gaslands, your X-Wing. Walker gets in his head and he's so concerned about cheating or about not following the template exactly. You might have to let go of that to enjoy Kabuto Sumo because when you're... Slide- I
1: just want to make sure we're clear. But it's about me I know. playing it wrong. I'm not worried about other people. I know. I know. Okay. Okay. I just want it to sound as though I was... Yeah, your- yeah, no, okay, go no, ahead. No, no, no. Yeah,
2: Absolutely. Uh, when playing Kabuto Sumo, there are two areas of possible concern. One of them is you're not supposed to change direction of the disc as you're sliding it in, which can be difficult because as it reach, as it gets resistance from different areas of the board, uh, you're going to feel the disc get less resistance in some direction. So you actually have to control the disc moving straight in a straight line. The second problem is you're supposed to move the disc all the way onto the board, but no further. And so you have to know exactly when to stop pushing the disc on so if you are seriously concerned about those things and are unable to get over yourself i.e walker you might have barriers to entry if you're playing with children which i think all dexterity games should be played with children just accept the fact that children are grubby little cheaters and are probably not going to follow the rules if you are playing with adult cheaters i suggest you need new friends that's what i would say about that <laughs> aside from those shortcomings, though. Uh, Kabuto Sumo has been relentlessly endearing. I have thoroughly enjoyed it. It is a marvelous little shoving game. It actually has surprising trade-offs in the mid-game, surprising switches to determine whether or not it's time to trigger your special ability, which is expensive but awesome. Uh, Pivoting from trying to shove off your opponent to then moving to an exhaustion victory. Lovely come-from-behind moments. Kabuto Sumo is an absolute treat. Can't wait. And those are the games we played last week. Now on to the news and why it doesn't matter.
1: So first of all, there was some stuff going on this week, so we're just going to go over our policy like we always do. We have and never will take any payment of any time from any publishers, designers, distributors, or any other sort of title or name that you want to give to anyone that sells games. For our content, we only accept payment from our listeners in the form of Patreon. And that's that.
2: Absolutely. Yeah, this, this came up recently in the discussion of a Jamie Stegmaier blog post in which he also went out of his way to name check us saying that we dislike games because we enjoy being contrarians and or we do it for the clicks. So uh, thanks for that, Jamie. And uh, I have other words for Jamie
1: Stegmaier that are not appropriate to be repeated on air. So that being said, we have some actual real news to go on to. There's a game coming up called King Domino Origins, Mark, because apparently King Domino is going to hit all the different notes, and this is sort of a cave dweller, pre-human. Pre-human. And I think it fit. well, sorry, pre-civilization is what I meant to say. There you go. I think this this fits the theme of the game a little bit better, actually, because you're sort of expanding out, you know, sort of, you know, exploring and, and making your little plot of land bigger and it looks very interesting it has all sorts of different tokens and stuff to put on the board as you move out I'm looking forward to taking a look at it King Domino Origins I also have Pandemic Jumps the Lich King (laughs) Pandemic is coming out with a World of Warcraft edition Mark because Pandemic
2: No 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 you don't get to blame Pandemic for this this is a World of Warcraft sin not a Pandemic sin
1: and then a game that came out in 2018, but they're redoing a lot of it's called Vecto Race Mark. This has some trappings of sort of an X-Wing slash Gaslands template movement system, except that it has an interesting like sort of hexagon at the front. So you can sort of, instead of just moving straight out from your front, you can go off at angles. And I'm interested to take a look because it's all made with these cardboard cards, cars that are very easy to, you know, customize and, and convert up so I'm interested to take a look at that as well.
2: I was intrigued too yeah.
1: And Another one that's interesting to me is Fort. We talked about Fort we played Fort. It had fantastic art and a very cool uh, theme but did not come together whatsoever it said that it was a deck builder that you didn't actually get to build but it's coming out with a cats and dogs expansion Mark because you need cats and dogs for children except this is Only It's a 26-card expansion, and there's only 18 cards that actually go into the deck. Just the dogs go into the deck. The cats look as though there's some sort of event card. Oh, okay. All right, so I just have some numbers here just to throw out, just because it (laughs) seemed... So the expansion, Canadian, is $13.20. A Magic the Gathering is a 15-card booster pack. It's $4.15 shards of infinity because i've talked about shards infinity a lot lately they have a new expansion that's coming out soon it has 60 cards in it it retails at nine dollars and 95 cents so fort cats and dogs expansion
2: <laughs>
1: news from germany the
2: spiel des jahres jury has come back with its decisions And the SDJ, the eponymous game of the year, has been awarded to swag favorite Micro Macro Crime City. Let me say hats off to that. That is an absolutely solid pick. Uh, Their Kennerspiel des Jahres Award, which is supposed to be for the quote unquote connoisseur uh, or those that are knowledgeable about games. The, The translation varies from person to person and what it's supposed to represent, has gone to Paleo, which is absolutely a game in a box.
1: It has, yeah, there's cards in that box, Mark.
2: There's components, the cards,
1: uh, uh, tokens, the cards, tokens the, too. The cards have pictures on them. Absolutely, there's art in paleo that
2: is absolutely something we can say.
1: Absolutely true. We love King's Dilemma. There's going to be a game called Queen's Dilemma. So excited. So sort of a uh, so excited. So it's sort of like a follow up. I don't know if it's like a continuation of the story or not. I haven't read too much into it because I don't want to, you know, spoil anything if it's just more of king's dilemma in a in a new game i am so looking forward to it
2: my understanding is that they're going to be using the fundamental dilemma system married to a slightly more conventional t- territory control map based experience so it might end up feeling like some kind of hybrid i don't know i'm just very very interested to see where they take the system
1: so mark they've shown they've announced the name and shown some artwork for the new Carlos Magnus reprint. Chucky Big Big 2? Chucky Bigger Bigger? Chucky Big Big 2. And I I don't know how to pronounce the new name, but based on the artwork and the theme, I'm going to call it (laughs) Entrails. Spell it for me. E-R-I-A-N-T-Y-S.
2: I don't know how to say that either. Ariantis, I guess? It's the magical world of floating islands. I guess that makes slightly more sense than the original theme.
1: Floating Deadhead does not approve.
2: Well, but the Floating Deathhead needs to go and survey his floating islands, doesn't he?
1: No, he does not. Okay. Can't I wait to correct. make the the videos of laser death eyes blowing <laughs> up all the art from this game. No, I'm, I'm being serious. I, I don't agree. I don't like the new art. I don't like the theme. Just doesn't make any sense to me.
2: Well, Leo Colavini's games are always aggressively themeless and abstract. And so I guess they've decided that Charlemagne doesn't sell which is I suppose okay but uh for me it will always be Chucky Big Bakes
1: exactly
2: except except when we call him any one of our seven other silly names for him
1: that's true that being said the the art is perfectly fine it's perfectly lovely but it's all very cutesy fairy like you know dwarves and unicorns and Blah blah blah.
2: Yes, but in fairness, Walker, you also tend to be openly mocking of historical European themes as well. So
1: This is true. <laughs> there's just no pleasing me, Mark. It's true. Okay? I've noticed. I'm 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 contrary for the sake of being contrary. I want those clicks, Mark. Give me the clicks. Jamie and I are very concerned about you, Walker. We don't think you actually enjoy games. Next up. Speaking of crazy cute and games that look amazing, there's a book, Mark, we've it's called Wonder Book. And we've seen some pop-up stuff with Terrain. We've seen that on Kickstarter. Now, this is a pop-up book where you place your miniatures all over the stuff there. It's very chibi-like, very cute sort of adventure pop-up game. I'm very much looking forward to seeing how it plays out. This is called Wonderbook. And lastly from me, Mark, have you ever wondered in Underworlds how just one of your heroes would fare on its own? (laughs)
2: <laughs> I don't play heroes the, in Underworlds. So I play Skaven or I play Goulds.
1: Just, well, or so how would you think just one of those characters would, would do this? This is the Not question well. Games Workshop wants to know because apparently they they're reprinting. I didn't even know this was out in the first place. Arena Mortis, where you can take just one of your characters from Underworlds and pit it against other single characters and somehow have fun. and in case you don't think that's for you well too bad because they put cards that can be used in underworlds in the box so if you want those cards you gotta buy it
2: oh boy do not approve
1: and that is arena mortis by games workshop
2: I have a couple of notes about Peterson Games, Peterson Games being the game publisher run by Sandy Peterson, which publishes games under the Peterson Games logo. Uh, First of all, there have been yet more delays for the Cthulhu War stuff that people have pledged for more than a year ago. And they basically have said, this is a complicated arrangement, and this is just more of an object lesson about how future Kickstarters need not to handle this. It's just the perfect level of transparency where nothing is their fault, but not enough transparency to actually explain anything. Basically, their story is something, something, something. If we publish the game now, we're going to go bankrupt, and you wouldn't want that, really. So what we're going to do is we're going to wait and get more funding from other places, and then print it along with more of the base game to sell to retail. And anytime anyone asks the question, so... Did you raise enough money to print the games in the first place or not? The answer is always yes and no at the same time. Uh, because of course they're a private company, they're not going to open their books, which is perfectly within their right. But at the same time, they want to make everyone understand that they're perfectly solvent, except for the ways in which they're not, and all of our money is safe, except for the ways that it's not, and nothing is possibly their fault. Now, moving on to this, and this is slightly more pointed, if if that's possible, The Atlantic published an article about colonialism in board games, and on the one hand, I'm very, very uh, I, I like it whenever there's thoughtful coverage of board games and talking about these kinds of serious issues. I don't agree with everything in the article, some of the framing. Devices I thought were, were misconstrued, but I think it's a very worthy read, and I'm glad that even mainstream publications are addressing some of these weighty issues in the board gaming hobby. I'll include a link in the episode description. But one of the things that I couldn't help but notice on the topic of Peterson Games was that Sandy Peterson himself replied to uh, a link to this article saying, Why can't I just enjoy my games without any of these fun destroying nannies trying to tell me how to live my life? To which I was tempted to reply, but I don't like Twitter drama. Why can't I just talk about games with any of these ignorant retrogrades telling me that I can't think about my games. But anyway, setting all that aside, I'd like to identify this classic move that a lot of people have done. I'm going to call it the Peterson Two-Step. And Sandy Peterson's not the only person who does this, but it is a common thing that happens. Step one is well, you know, I am an artist. I'm an artist. I've been in this industry for many years. I'm going to attach my name to everything that I put out. And I, as a creator, am important and I'm contributing to the field, which is absolutely true. But the second step of the Peterson two-step is just let me play with my toys and let's not talk or think about any of these issues raised by my toys. Like, well, guess what, Sandy? You can't have it both ways. Either you're making a cultural artifact that we can discuss or you're not. If you're not, shut up and take your names off the box. If you are, let's talk about things like colonialism. Anyway, (laughs) that is my coining of the term the Peterson two-step. Please feel free to use it in any field appropriate. And that is the news and why it doesn't matter. Moving on, we are now proceeding to the second and final installment of this, the second and ongoing installment of Listener Questions. So I'm calling this Listener Questions Bravo Bravo. We will probably do this again at some point in the future, but this is the current crop of questions. So, Walker, why don't you start us off?
1: I will. This listener would like some recommendations for some newbie families to the hobby and five-year-old children
2: what do you got walker
1: i have rhino hero and super rhino hero battle 100 percent. ghost blitz and then a game that i haven't played but everyone says is fantastic is animal on animal
2: oh yeah the animal on animal is nice I would also add dancing eggs. Dancing eggs is fun for both adults and children. And also something I'm surprised, Blocker, this isn't necessarily for five-year-olds. Five-year-olds might be pushing it, maybe not. Depends on the five-year-old. Uh, we've had a lot of luck with skull and cockroach poker. Skull especially, because uh, even relatively young children can immediately internalize. Because uh, uh, I, I, I don't mean to break it to you, but kids love to lie. Um... Now, Cockroach Poker, they're probably not going to internalize what happens. Like, what happens when I'm right about catching a liar. Even adults sometimes get confused about that. But the fundamental card play is uh, definitely within their grasp. And so I would add those. Dexterity games, you can never go wrong.
1: Yeah, I also have Flick'Em Up Dead of Winter, Kabuto Sumo, and Coffee Traders.
2: (laughs) Yeah, any splatter game as well, I think. Uh, A lot of the Avalon Hill games from the 80s, 100%. Walker, what are some of your hobbies and interests outside board gaming?
1: Well, at the moment, Mark, there are none because between actually gaming and preparing for talking about gaming, there's not much time left between work and family life. I hear you. There used to be hobbies. There <laughs> used to be paintball. There used to be hockey. And there used to be like RC car tournaments. But oh, wow. there are none of that anymore.
2: I used to be heavily involved in debating, but that was a university affair, and there's not really much outlet for that past university, Uh, but I'm still very much into, I mean, yeah, they're hobbies, but they're hobbies shared by everybody. I'm a big fan of music, television, and and movies, so those are effectively my non-gaming hobbies now.
1: Mark, the next one is, it says, now that you've been recognized as the greatest podcast ever, has fame changed you how do you how do you deal with Pavarazzi and groupies and autograph hunters i would like to reject the premise of the question (laughs) i say i I said coke and barrel rolls in our private jet
2: (laughs) good call good call walker what are your top five favorite sentinels of the multiverse characters
1: i have unity omnicron 10 uh tempest raw and knife Mine are The Southside Sentinels, The Idealist,
2: Tempest, Captain Cosmic, and Chrono Ranger. I'm actually surprised there's only one overlap, so I guess Tempest is the official swag uh, Sentinels character.
1: Uh, I agree.
2: So this next question I actually quite like. It's about a game being miscalibrated. So basically the, the, the background is, we've talked about expectations a number of times on the show, but what if a game presents to you a number of strategic arms that on the... On, that are facially equally viable, but one of them turns out to be not particularly not particularly viable so for example, one which we commonly talk about is that jade is a lie in gugong without the expansion. Uh, another example that I would give is but slightly different, not necessarily in terms of strategic, but in terms of, of undercutting expectations of Scythe. We've had a number of people, actually the Honworker in particular, talks about how he is distaste for Scythe because it looks like you're going to get to fight with these giant fighty mechs, but you almost never fight with them. So would you criticize Walker a game for being miscalibrated?
1: No, what I have here is that I just feel frustrated because I feel that I'm missing something in the mechanics because I feel as though I'm sure it's been play tested and run through multiple times. And if they have this in the game, then there must be a reason for it. And either I'm playing it wrong or I misread a rule or I'm not, you know, hitting the combos the way I'm supposed to be. I'm missing something. So I just feel frustrated.
0: Mm.
2: For me, it depends. Sometimes I like having my expectations undercut and sometimes I don't. And I, in the case of Of Scythe in particular, you know, I I rarely criticize a game for setting expectations by virtue of artwork. Like, i played a lot of games that look like fighty games that are in point of fact, basically economic management and efficiency games, and vice versa. You know, economic management games that turned out to be vicious, vicious, brutal affairs. But if there is an arm of point acquisition that's just routinely and regularly and reliably not worth it, like jade that kind of bothers me a bit another example that was mentioned by the same poster was barrage apparently amongst high level barrage uh players you don't really go for power generation you instead try to max out one of the building tracks to get one of those seven point income things and just rely on that for your victory points i have less of a problem with things like that for two reasons number one uh i don't play games competitively very much And so I'm happy to have my rear handed to me by somebody who's, who's playing the game a slightly different way. And number two, at least in that specific case, in the context of barrage, you're still building power infrastructure, so You're not completely ignoring the theme. If in barrage, you could like sell sheep on the side and that was overpowered. That would bother me because you know, but if it's about building more dams and building more power stations, and that's how you get points rather than actually generating power. Fine.
1: Plus, If you're not generating power, then you're not stealing water from other people, and therefore you're not having fun by ruining the game for everybody else.
2: (laughs) So, Walker, what is your current relationship with the creative process of making the podcast?
1: What I've written down here is I'm joined, pushing the quality and the complexity of the streams and the videos that we're making, and the creative process is just uh, the topics, right? Coming up with... Uh, different and interesting things to talk about without having to fall back on like top 10 lists of of whatever every single other week
2: yeah more on that in a moment And I have to say, Walker, you've definitely been, uh, you've always, Walker has always found ways to push the envelope, which is great, because between the two of us, in terms of our collaboration, I am unsurprisingly the conservative one, if it worked last week and the week before that, why on earth would you ever change things? But that's my attitude towards life generally. And so it's very, very good that I have a partner like Walker, who is willing and able to try new things and be very successful and throw components at at the screen in the process.
1: The next question is do you ever get anxiety or writer's block or fatigue or doubt and how do you deal with it and I, my answer is that i just fall back to the same thing with the topic the only time i get anxiety or or worry is when we haven't come up with something until you know near the end of the deadline and and i'm worrying about not doing my part to to <laughs> you know come up with ideas
2: well, and, and my response to that is, is very much a corollary to the previous discussion. That's one of the great things about working in a partnership. Uh, very, very, very seldom is it the case that we both feel completely tapped out. Usually when one of us doesn't have a good idea of what to talk about, the other one steps up to the plate. And so there is never like a couple of times it's happened where we're both like, I I'm not feeling this. Like, what are we going to do? usually one of us is able to supply either the creativity or the energy or the enthusiasm to push us through. And that's one of the great things about having a partner to do this with. I wouldn't be able to do it alone. And in point of fact, I tried doing it alone and I failed. And that's one of the reasons why swag uh, survives, whereas uh, previous endeavors have failed.
1: Next question is, have either of you been tempted to design a game? That sounds like work. It does. I know years and years ago that I got together with he who shall not be named. It doesn't actually exist. The Wendigo, we, the North wind. The, exactly. And we, and we, uh, actually set a day aside that we were going to do this, that we oh, we're yeah. going to sit down and start. And it lasted for two whole weeks. And then never again did we meet.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I briefly, when I got started in the hobby, Thought that I could design a game, and the process of trying to design the game disabused me of that notion, uh, because my natural intuition was to just pile mechanisms that I'd stolen from other games on top of each other, and the result was a pointless, stupid mess. And so I have not gone back to that attempt since.
1: Actually, I'm do I'm going to do a little bit of a callback since this question sort of remind me of it, because there was the, you know, the angle of you know, we're negative for the sake of being negative. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I'm making a prediction, Mark. The next thing that's going to be is like, well, if these guys weren't such cowards and had, you know, you know, had the honor or the, you know, could Courage. design a game of, design a game of themselves for themselves, then, you know, they wouldn't say these things. You know what I mean? Sure. That will be the next one. Guaranteed. It's going to be next.
2: Those who can do, those who can't criticize.
1: Exactly. Yeah, that, Just that, wait as, for it.
2: As somebody who's who's in academia, I've certainly never heard things of that elk before. Next question. Sometimes podcasters get their name or likeness put into a game. If that were an option to become promo cards for a game, what existing game would you want blessed or scarred with your likeness for all time? Well, here's the thing. I, I'll speak for myself and, and, and Walker can, uh, can jump in if, if he disagrees. I would be very loath. I'm not, you know, never say nether, but I'd be very, very reluctant to ever enter into that kind of relationship with a designer or a publisher. Like our bread and butter, our, to a certain extent, our, our editorial policy is to remain independent. And if we collaborate officially with some kind of designer or publisher, if we become part of a product, I worry what that would do to our independence and our credibility. And it's potentially permanent. Like I don't aspire to... A, ever run a Kickstarter, and B, much less have, like, collaborate with this publisher and that publisher and have a whole bunch of cards that we sell and then we sell on Board Game Geek not to pick on the Dice Tower, but, like, whatever. This is, that's what they want to do. That's cool. That's for them. That's just not anything I ever want to do. Because I don't want to have to think of the artists and the designers and the publishers that I've worked with personally when I'm reviewing their future stuff.
1: It's true, and it's come up a couple times. My only point is the fact that I don't understand why people would want to ruin their games by putting anything about us in it. (laughs) And also, it's like the whole, every time you open the box, you need to get ready to suppress that gag reflex. I don't know why people (laughs) would want to do that.
2: Walker, given your love for making top 10 lists, when can we expect to see a top 50 games of all time from each of us? Never. Never. I don't... I don't like top 10 lists. I don't like top lists of any time. We only did it once, and that was because people wanted to hear our top 10 games to get a calibration of our tastes. And we did it. It's there. I don't think our lists have changed substantially, if at all, since we originally published them. And I think that if you want to listen to get a sense of our tastes past that, well, we've got a couple hundred episodes for you to listen to of us talking about games. That's fine. Just top, like, top end lists... There's not really room for much depth there. It's like, my top eight game of all time is this game. I really love it. It's excellent. It's amazing. Moving on to number seven. Like, that. Eh.
1: Yeah, no. I wonder if we do, like, a pub meeple. No, no, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> what are your thoughts on the future of Kickstarter? Do you think this craze is going to end at some point? Sooner? Later? Never? What do you think, Walker? I think... Uh, it'll never, it'll never end. It's going to constantly change with what the market demands. We just talked about this a few, uh, a few weeks ago where, you know, people are saying, you know, Kickstarter isn't, you know, what it's supposed to be or what it started out to be. And it's like change is inevitable. This is, you know, gearing towards what people want. That's, they want to make money. This is what people want. This is how they're going to change. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I'm inclined to agree. I think that what is useful for hobbyists, both new people to the hobby and more experienced hobbyists, is just to have a clearer understanding of what you want to get out of Kickstarter and uh, a better sense of editorial discretion about what kind of projects are going to deliver that to you. So, in other words, don't complain that culminate are not kickstarters are just a a, a bunch of sometimes thinly play tested plastic exclusives. That's kind of their brand. That's what they do. It's it's their thing, I, and I mean, yeah, there's lots to criticize there. But by the same token, you send them a hundred bucks, you're going to get a lot of content, and sometimes it turns out to be amazing content. But that's a matter of taste, of course. So, yeah, more consumer awareness, I'm in favor of. Thinking that Kickstarter is some sort of blight or an abomination necessarily, or that it's going to die, I think is somewhat misguided and probably false. Walker, listeners want to see us return to rankings by pie. Can we start including I, pie ratings for the games we review?
1: I can only agree. I keep thinking that we need to go back to this, and I keep trying to remember. So, I'm going to try to remember next week. I'm going to try to put a pie at the end so and f- start r- ranking games by pie.
2: So for those unfamiliar, there was a a, uh, a period where Walker... Very would, brief period. A brief period, yes. Where Walker would compa- compare games and say, this game is like a fine cherry pie or whatever. And we actually did, shortly thereafter, we did a topic about ranking systems where we talked about the benefits, and virtue, the, the benefits and drawbacks of various ranking systems, and we once again talked about the Pi rating system. My problem is I don't really like Pi, and I, I'm not familiar with the wide varieties of Pi, so I'm not really able to participate fully, but I fully endorse Walkers returning to this form 100%.
1: Next question is, Mark, have we ever considered reviewing more Splatter tiles? Sorry, more Splatter titles. Well, we've talked about most of them,
2: really. Uh, Bus, we haven't discussed because I played Bus back when it was first published, and not in its re-edition. uh Con or Kens, I don't know how to say that 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 word. Uh, Scripts and Screens has been out of print; and I haven't played that. Uh, but I mean, other ones we you know we talk about them when we play them. So we've talked about Zimbabwe, we've talked about Food Chain Magnate, we talked about Antiquity. Um, I don't.
1: know. I was gonna say, like when you return, I'm sure if we wanted deep. You know dive deeper into one of them we, we we will do that
2: all right locker what are your top two favorite video games?
1: here I have League of Legends and Slay the Spire are the two top ones that I'm playing at the moment League of Legends has been from day one practically from the day that it was conceived I've been playing League of Legends I play it almost every day I just really enjoy it it's all about the aram aram all the time <laughs>
2: Uh, My top two favorite video games are Star Control 2 and Dungeon Crawl Stone Soup.
1: Like I said, I was going to put my two uh, video games of all time I put in here as well. Okay. I have Jagged Alliance and World of Warcraft.
2: Okay. Jagged Alliance 1, not Jagged Alliance 2?
1: I I just grouped it all together. Okay. I didn't want to, uh, and I might say XCOM, but that would be three and that would be cheating. So I definitely didn't say XCOM.
2: Okay, definitely not XCOM. Definitely not two Jagged Alliance games and definitely not XCOM, so definitely not four, definitely just a top two. Walker, how do you organize your game collection?
1: Well, we talked about it before. I have a Calyx, and I put all my games in there quite randomly, except for one box. One box I keep clear. Not clear, but is solely for the purpose of games that I'm working on at the moment, i.e. my Shelf of Shame, i.e. which is only two games now. It was one. It was only... Red Outpost, but now it is Coffee Traders and Red Outpost. Oh my god, Coffee Traders. I'm going to go on and on about it, by the way, Mark. Every episode for the next two years, so just so you know. Okay. That's and how long it'll take for me to get to the table.
2: And I don't organize my game collection either. I have a whole bunch of uh, metal utility shelves, and I just organize things such that they fit.
1: All right. Next question is whether or not you take into account the availability of a game when we talk about it or review it like do we care about whether or not the uh, listeners can get it or how hard it is for them to to purchase mark what is your answer to this
2: well, i just like to stress the, the follow-up because the listener said it seems that game reviewers are getting games way before the general public in a lot of cases. And that doesn't really apply to us. Uh Sometimes it does. Very, 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 very rarely. But in those cases, we flag it. You know, this is an early preview copy or we definitely tell everyone where we get it. If we don't say where we get it, if we didn't get it from the designer, the publisher, the distributor, we bought it. We bought it standard retail. The problem is a lot of these games are being published in a somewhat periodical model. The questioner specifically referenced Micro Macro Crime City. I bought that from a physical game store. Walker, you bought it from an online game store, if I'm not mistaken. And we just bought it like common plebs. We don't have special access the overwhelming majority of the time. And it's usually just a a, a sort of a differentiation between The kind of hobbyist, and I'm not stratifying here, I'm not saying that one's better or more elite or more of a gamer than the other. I'm just saying there are some gamers who every time their favorite game store or stores get new stock, they're immediately checking the update to see what's available. And then there are some who are not. And the ones who are not, because they have, what's that word, uh, social lives and better things to do with their time, by the time they hear about a game, it's frequently out of stock everywhere because that's just how the market's working, kind of. And so, yes, it, there is an increasing rift between those who are aggressive in pursuing new games and those who aren't. And I just think it's not that we have some special status, we just aggressively pursue new games.
1: This has actually come up with something else as well, Mark. The, the, one of the, the Master of the Universe games, it's coming out in Europe only. Yes, and I'm trying to decide. There's many people I can get it shipped to in Europe, mm. and I'm and I'm trying to decide. Well, if most of our listeners can't get it, then what is the point of going through the effort of bringing it in and playing it if they can't get it?
2: Well, but no, but here's the thing, and and, and I talked about this actually in an episode of So Very Wrong about all the games you like are bad recently, and this was about cost. Should we talk about the cost of a game? And a corollary to that discussion is, should we talk about out-of-print games at all? And I think the answer is obviously yes, because there's value in criticism, there's value in analysis, there's value in discussing these things as cultural artifacts, and many listeners are curious about hearing about games that they would never in a million years want to play, whether or not the game's any good. So, is it worth it for us to track down a game if we're interested in talking about it? I would say absolutely, regardless of whether or not the listeners are necessarily able to copy. Now, maybe I'm maybe I'm completely wrong. Maybe everyone's listening to this saying, no, no, Mark, we only appreciate so very wrong about games as a buyer's guide but i have a i have a sense that's not the case especially based on the number of people who give us feedback saying i don't share your tastes at all i don't play the kind of games you play i never will but i still enjoy listening to the show anyway so i'm suggesting walker is if if you if you have the power you should go ahead and do that did you get that's all right if you have
1: the, the power. yeah I, I got it did, did thanks you pick up
2: on that okay Uh, Next up are a couple of uh, French tongue twisters for me. Uh, One of them is uh, actually really kind of easy. Uh, That's the version that I've heard before, uh, which is the more it it just has again. It's basically if uh, if my uncle shaves your uncle, your uncle will have been shaved by my uncle. Uh, Tongue twisters don't tend to make much sense. Um, The next one is, uh, I'm going to stumble over this one. Je suis ce que je suis, et si je suis ce que je suis, qu'est-ce que je suis? And as you can perceive, if any of you speak French, my suis there, we're kind of getting into suis, which is probably part and parcel of my Montreal background, but uh, there you go. So there's some French-Canadian tongue twisters, some French rather, not French-Canadian, they're from, uh, they're they're orthogonal, they're hexagonal
1: French uh, tongue twisters for you. I I even had an answer for this, Mark, do you want to see if, if I can get through this? Go for it, Walker. My answer was, pourquoi je tournerai mon encor avec un Tutsi à garcon I'm going to need a translation. Il me dollars.
2: How'd I do? I I think the Trudeau plan of bilingualism as envisioned in the 60s has a bit of a ways to go.
1: Uh, it was supposed to read. I do not wish to run over my uncle with a lawnmower, for he still owes me $50. <laughs> That's a great story, Walker.
2: <laughs> so, our least favorite listener is back. Uh, yeah. I, I used to think he was did- the, he was my countryman, Sam Hulo, but he's back did to the us. Did we look into us. this?
1: You we, we said that you were going to look in to see if there, there's a way to block a single particular person from downloading...
2: I'm still trying to find his IP address. But the good All news right. is this one's only going to be painful for you, not for me. So therefore, it's going to be delightful for me. Hansa Teutonica, Gaia Project, and Space Hulk. Play one that once is- more, destroy one, and keep one in your collection forever. Go.
1: Oh, I thought you were going to do it first just because c- it would be easier for you. Yeah, oh, yeah. Well, I'm Super sorry, MC Mark, but Space Hulk is a fantastic game. Yes. But it is very dated. Sure. And I have to, I have to reflect on how many times it's been to the table in the last 10 years. So I'm afraid Space Hulk is going to have to go.
2: Oh, sacrilege. Okay.
1: Hansa Titanica is going to fall sort of into that same category. Oh, no. Some people feel it's a little too confrontational. What? <laughs> a little backstabby. A little too aggressive. A little too
2: fun and interactive?
1: So one more. Look, this hurts me, Mark. This is not okay. easy yeah, for yeah.
2: me. Okay, you're right. Sorry, sorry. You're right. This is a difficult call. Hansa
1: Tonica will be played once more, and then will float away on my tears of sadness. <laughs> and we will keep Gaia Project because of its many different paths to victory, and I'm sure an upcoming expansion <laughs> all will be fantastic. And that is my lineup for those.
2: Uh, I would happily consign Gaia Project to Oblivion. If I never play it again, that's fine. I don't hate it, but I wouldn't miss it at all. I would play Space Hulk once more, and I would only play Space Hulk once more because everyone knows that the best way to play Space Hulk is Suicide Mission.
1: And and that one game would be Suicide Mission.
2: Of course it would be Suicide Mission. I like the other missions, but I mean, come on, Suicide Mission is so iconic that therefore one more play of Space Hulk is easily done, and Hansa Teutonica stays in my collection forever just because it is so delightful and such a quality, confrontational Euro game. How dare you, Walker?
1: I'm so sorry. No, you're not. Next question is: Whatever happened to Swag? Swag? Answer: Your mom. <laughs>
2: uh, we 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 briefly discussed it. We ran a couple polls. There just didn't seem to be much much interest in it. So
1: yeah, we did like a whole GQ article. Like we spent a lot of money putting <laughs> that out. <laughs> That's as a questionnaire. Spread. Hiring Anna Wintour
2: yeah. was a mistake in hindsight. I think
1: it's true, but yeah. that was that was an in-stream email exchange. Put it that way.
2: Yeah. yeah. She has some opinions, that's for sure.
1: What is your current job, if any? This! This is my job, you ungrateful listeners! This is all I do,
2: you are all I think about, you are all I labor towards, and you dare ask me what my job is. In all seriousness, uh, there are frequently weeks where I spend in excess of 40 hours on the podcast. Other than that, I'm retired.
1: I get to work. (laughs) I (laughs) work. I work. At Costco, I am what they call a merchandiser. I have, I have, I have downgraded myself to this because I no longer wish to care about whether or not people show up for work or or do scheduling or change hours or all of that management stuff or ownership stuff. So, from what I
2: literally and bluntly, you no longer wish to manage children
1: exactly yeah I think I made the right call I get to show up for work I get to work as hard as I want which is very hard because that's how I that's how I do's
2: full send and
1: and then I get to go home and not bring my work with me
2: yep all right the next are a series of questions for me Sakatumi Walker
1: for Mark any opinion on Brian Lee O'Malley's seconds it was fine All right, ethical issues you think people should be giving more or less weight than they currently do.
2: Uh, I think it is very strange, given most people's assumptions about animal welfare, that people don't critically interrogate the way their lifestyles are founded on a mountain of animals that, that have been literally tortured to death. And I... I, I just find it shocking how little attention people pay to that given their views. Now, I have slightly idiosyncratic views on animal welfare, so I have a, I have a different approach to it, but uh, there's that. And um, number two, I think that confidentiality is, crin- is, is criminally undervalued in most professions. Uh, and number three, I think that people regard casual lying as far too acceptable. But then again, I'm a Kantian, so you should have known all that.
1: And what are the two games you are good at?
2: I've commented on this before. I think there are two games at which I'm actually kind of decent, and those are Raw and Infinity. I think I'm competitive in those two games. Uh, Other than that, I'm a dabbler.
1: Next question is, what is the most difficult game you've learned and has a most satisfying sessions thereafter?
2: Well, Walker, what do you think?
1: I have Food Chain Magnet listed here
2: and listed here alone. Yeah, any of the Splatter games would definitely qualify. But for me, the number one is probably Magic Realm, the infamously complicated Richard Hamlin game of the 1970s and 80s. And it's one of those games where, yes, there's a lot of system mastery, and I almost never defend games that have heavy amounts of system mastery. But sometimes you see those subtle nuances and those little bits that just open up the game experience that make it feel like you've learned something valuable, even though you haven't really.
1: Actually, now that you said... uh... Magic Realm. I thought of uh, Mage Knight as well.
2: Sure. Well, Mage Knight the is very much tra- like Magic Realm. <laughs> exactly. There's hexes. That's why. I, <laughs>
1: that's why it reminded me of it because it's exactly the same.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we don't mention. Wait, uh, wait, a- wait. Are, what, there, what, are there cards what, in Magic Realm? No. Uh, kind of. Okay. Okay. It's exactly <laughs> the same then. All right. We don't mention abstract games much on the podcast. Are there any favorites or even notable uh, abstract games that we like? worthy of mentioned in uh, in our opinions? Walker,
1: I know I've played a lot of. I know they have a name, but the there's like a whole set of sort of like black and white counter.
2: The Gip Project.
1: The Gip, yeah, I've played a lot of those with the Winigo. But ones that stand out for me that are that I feel are sort of abstract are the are just more of the chess yeah, so like the Duke, games. Yeah, like the Duke games, like the Duke and On- Onitama. Both mm-hmm. of those, I very I I really enjoy those types of games.
2: One of my favorite is Fealty by Eric Royce. It's the game he published with Asmati Games before he be he published Spirit Island. And of the Gipf project, I did really enjoy Devon. I thought Devon was pretty good. Uh, but y- yes, abstracts are not typically my cup of tea.
1: Mark, what are your favorite games at seven or more players? The Resistance,
2: Sidereal Confluence, and Guards of Atlantis.
1: Guards of Atlantis, okay. Of course. I have Wavelength, Just One, Codenames, Coyote, Telestrations, and Caverna.
2: <laughs> that is a lie and you know it Not really, exactly, it is a lie
1: But the fact that you can play Caverna at 7 is very funny
2: Sure, and just in the same way that you can play Welcome to with 100 players It's not like, a good idea Yeah, no, I, I I, definitely echo your list But I wanted to focus on, you know, there are lots of party games that are good to 7 plus and true, I guess true, the Resistance true. kind of, it's not a party game, but, you know, social deduction games often fall into that. But Citadel Confluence and Guards of Atlantis are two quality strategy games that play at that level and higher and therefore deserve all the plaudits possible.
1: All right. With shipping on Kickstarters starting to back up and some projects are printed and still waiting on containers, are we changing our Kickstarting purchases I.e. are we waiting for it to come out in retail instead, or are we just using Kickstarter like we usually do?
2: For me, it's too soon to tell. I don't know how long this current tragedy is going to keep going. Like, are shipping is shipping going to normalize? Are we going to get to a new normal? Or is this the new normal? But my attitude for a while has been, when it comes to Kickstarters, I will kickstart a project under one of two conditions. Number one, I sincerely get the impression that the publisher could use my support. It's a small project, and I think I'm actually going to make a difference. Or number two, I'm going to get a whole bunch of exclusives, and so it's a purely mercenary decision on my part. In either of those cases, I'm probably willing to wait.
1: True, yeah. No, I haven't... This isn't... None of this has changed what... Any decisions I make, I'm just... I feel as though Kickstarter, the waiting is part of the appeal to Kickstarter. The anticipation of waiting for the game, the watching the updates, seeing how the game changes. Really? You, I, you,
2: you love the fact that all uh, the Canadian Ankh copies are still in China?
1: Uh, well, okay. <laughs> that, that with notwithstanding, okay. that is a, a different thing. A different time. <laughs> this doesn't say how... It's, they're saying backup for everybody. They're not saying this whole country gets their game six months before everybody else. That's a different issue. Okay. But I you know I've just been doing Kickstarters for so long I you know we kid about talking about the same game you know we're still waiting for this we're still waiting for that. Oh one. yeah. But but I don't I'm not I'm not really like that. I just when the when the someone knocks on the door right and the game's there then I have it. You know, I don't This does you know, not explain
2: th- much of your behavior during Pledge of Indifference, but uh sure whatever you say.
1: That's all for entertainment, Mark. It's <laughs> it's negativity for the clicks, man. <laughs> oh boy.
2: All right. So, Walker, I don't know if you've done this. Uh, I did it because I I kind of enjoy
1: doing this kind of thing. For sure. It says top three authors, movies, books, records, albums, and TV shows. So I have movies at number one, books (laughs) at number two, and TV shows at number three. Well done, sir. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Walker, out. Top three authors
2: are Emmanuel Kant, Jonathan Latham, and George Orwell. Top three movies are Old Boy, Lion, in Winter, Hedwig, and the Angry Inch. Top three books are Grounding for the Metaphysics of Morals, The Critique of Pure Reason, 1984. Records are Lateralis by Tool, Whatever Happened to PJ Souls by Local H, and Lift Your Skinny Fist Like Intended to Heaven by Godspeed You, Black Emperor. And top three TV shows are The Wire, Six Feet Under, and Superdimension
1: Fortress Macross. Very nice. Yeah. That is the end of the questions think I want to thank everyone. they had a great list of questions this time
2: i it was a good They're, it was a good run uh except for Sam Sam never again
1: yeah i I'm not even going to talk about it like seriously, okay. like it's yeah, painful but, to even think about it it's true, and well, it's not the question. It's just painful to think about him <laughs> um no, but th- this being said, uh this is pretty well a cut and paste from the questions, and none of these are repeats from the last time, so it's, it's an odd thing. Either they went back and listened to it and made sure they didn't cop any questions or it just happened to be completely new questions. I think it was pretty impressive. So
2: that's going to do it for us. Thank you very, very much for joining us for So Very Wrong About Games. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can reach Walker via his email, dice at gmail.com. You can reach me, Mark Bigney, on Twitter at TheGamesYouLike. For more public discussion, you can find the So Very Wrong About Games Facebook page or you can check out our Board Game Geek Guild, which is guild number 3236, and you can find us on Patreon And Twitch. We read everything you send us, and we'll get back to you if we can. Thanks again for tuning in, and we hope to see you again soon. Peace! You've been listening to So Very Wrong About Games, produced by Michael Walker and edited by Mark Biggin. Special thanks goes to What Does It Eat for generously allowing us to use their most excellent song, FOS, as our theme. You can find them at whatdoesiteat.com. You can reach us by email at soverywrongaboutgames at gmail.com or on Twitter at sowronggames. Thanks very much. See you next time and always try to be right, but remember you are so very wrong. Thank you dear listeners for once again joining us and with our glorious return comes the return of Spike Presents Masterpiece Theater in honor of Prospero Hall and the Reverend Dr. Dr. Vincent Earl of Diesel Esquire OBE. Today we're talking about Fast and Furious 6. Walker, your thoughts?
1: My thoughts are that ex-girlfriends that don't want to get in touch with you are far more important (laughs) and family is far more important than the thousands and thousands of dead family members left on the highway and crushed by a tank. We are so welcomed at the end of the movie, how families are brought together and how it's such a happy ending. And I wish they had just panned away to the devastated (laughs) destroyed families left on that highway
2: i have a slightly different suggestion i think that future movies should just abandon the setup because the first 20 to 30 minutes of this movie i found painful where we get to see rock the dwayne johnson try to explain why things are happening or why anyone's doing what they're doing no 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 no. just start the movie in the middle of a car chase and just do the thing just go and do the thing
1: do the thing, if, you know, car, like I, said, I can see the progression here. First, it was cool cars, and then it's got up to the point where it's, it's just everything you need in a movie. We have cars, we have fighting, we have guns. You just cram it all in there. You got it. Giant tanks, and then we get awesome lines like, oh, we need a plan B because they got a tank. And it says, no, we need a plan A, B. No, we need so many letters. We need a whole new alphabet of plans. Mm-hmm. Can't get this kind of writing anywhere, Mark. This is quality... Hollywood material right here.
2: Mustang update: A previously beautiful 1969 Mustang fastback is used as an anchor to flip a speeding tank end over end 180 degrees. And I will note this is not the climax of the movie.
1: It's funny you said that because I th- I thought for sure that stopping the tank would have been the end of the movie. And then I was going, okay, I was reaching towards you know the close button, and it's like no, this is just the two thirds point.
2: The Reverend Dr. Dr. Vincent, Earl of Diesel, Esquire, OBE can do whatever he wants. Thank you very much for joining us for Swag Masterpiece Theater. We hope to join us again for the continuing adventures of the fast and or the Furious. Please do take care.
0: Bye-bye.